Hey, it's great to see everybody this morning. We're so glad that you're with us. We say this every week, but it's truly something that we feel. We are honored that you take the time to put East Brainerd here in your schedule. A lot of things you could be doing this morning. A lot of places that you could be. Uh, maybe a lot more comfortable settings that you could be in. But you have chosen to get up and to come and to share this time with us, and we hope that you are, are truly blessed by it. We thank you for for being here. We're using these days that are leading up to Easter. By the way, Easter is just in a couple of weeks, and we're using this time to rediscover the presence of God. C.S. Lewis, he wrote and said that the world is crowded with God. He's crowded with God. He says, in fact, that God walks everywhere incognito. And so we've said over the last couple of weeks that we cannot not be surrounded by God's presence. David pondered this in Psalm 139 when he observed, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, well, you're there. If I go down into the depths and make my bed there, well, you're there also. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light then becomes night around me, he said, even the darkness will not be dark to you because the night shines like the day. The darkness is like light to you. Now David uses this rhetorical device, murism, to describe the totality of God's presence. He says it doesn't matter if you're high or low. It, it doesn't matter if you go east or west. It doesn't matter if it's light or dark. He says, I can't escape the presence of God. And neither can you. Neither can you. We cannot escape the very presence of God. And that's the, I guess that's the important point. That God is ever present. The world is crowded with him. And I really think that we have to begin to seek to be as present to God as God is to us. You know, it's one thing to say God is all around. But are we looking to be close with God? So what we're doing, we're sharing some habits, some tangible practices that each of us can engage in that will allow us to better position ourselves to be present with the God who walks everywhere incognito. Stephen started it for us just a couple of weeks ago with his focus on spending time with God in Scripture. And last week, I encouraged you to engage in an habitual, silent, and in secret time with God. And, and Paul referenced that earlier and, and I wonder if, if you, like him and like me, if you found times where you were ever present, it seemed like, with God, and then there were those times where you realized, you know what, I've stopped the conversation. I've stopped the conversation. I, I'm, not, I'm not seeking to be close with God anymore. We're trying to look at this time as a time to experience intimacy with God where we draw closer to him so that we might be able to know him more. And this pursuit, this idea of drawing near to God, well, what we're trying to do, we're offering some simple guides that we all can participate in and can help us. And hopefully you picked one of these up in the lobby last week. You can pick another up today. You can also go to our website, eastbrainerdchurch.org. At the very top, you can click on the Easter tab that's there and then scroll down to the spiritual practices. Click on one of those. And then go ahead and start looking to see how that you can become more present with God during this week. And if you were not here last week, if you're just kind of catching up with us, you're like, wait a minute, do I need to start on week two, week one? It doesn't matter. This is not something where we just want you to do one week at a time. 
I love the fact that many of you experienced a time of, of silent conversation with God this last week. But this wasn't just a one-week-and-be-done thing. This was a practice that hopefully you were able to engage in that then you were encouraged to continue to keep that as part of your life. So even if you weren't with us last week, or even if you participate in the time of prayer, continue that this week, and then we want to add another practice. You see, as a church family, I want us to experience God's presence and, and God's peace and God's purpose like we never have before. Because I told you last week, I've never met anyone who said, I would love to have less God. If I could just have less God in my life, it would really be, it'd really be perfect, actually. It's actually the opposite. Believer after believer says, I want more of God. I just don't always know what to do. And many of you, maybe you came here today, you came here searching, trying to figure out, can I get closer to God if I come to this place, if I participate in certain rituals? Am I able to get closer to God like this? I just don't know what to do. We need some helpful instructions. We can all use a little bit of help. So this morning, in addition to scripture and prayer, we're going to discover another habit that can help move us nearer to God. And it's one of the habits that I guarantee you, most of us probably have not participated in. And it's a habit that we don't hear a lot talked about, even in our church circles. But yet you cannot travel very far through the biblical story without realizing that the spiritual holy habit of fasting was a natural rhythm of life to the people of God. Moses and David and Queen Esther, Daniel, Anna, and, and Paul, you can read about times where they intentionally had empty stomachs for the purpose of having a full relationship with God. In fact, entire nations are referenced in Scripture as fasting together. Jesus even began his ministry by going through a prolonged and intense fast. And so you have to wonder, why is something that is so ubiquitous in the biblical narrative so rare in the story of our life? Why is something that, that we see individuals in Scripture participating in something that we have just said, you know what, that's really not for us? Because think about it. A lot of you grew up in a church culture that said, we want to speak where the Bible speaks. We want to be silent where the Bible is silent. And we want to, we want to be able to uh, see the different examples that Jesus and those early Christians set. And we want to follow in those examples. Maybe that's why you've been here and participating even in the idea of communion this morning. Because you wanted to experience what those early disciples experienced. And you want to be able to have that type of relationship. And you say, well, I've seen those early Christians. I've, I know that they partook in communion. And so that's something that I want to do. Those early Christians also fasted. But for some reason, that didn't make it into a lot of our boxes, did it? Reading scripture, oh, that's in our box. Praying, that's in our box. We want to do that. Fasting, I don't know about that one. We don't talk about that. You know, we can't even remember all the lessons that we've heard about our need for prayer or, or Bible study, we've heard so many that, that we've just forgotten them. They've become echoes in our mind. But, but fasting? Somehow that one never made it into our spiritual teaching rotation, did it? And I wonder why that is. Well, let's start with a two-ton elephant in the room. Fasting involves sacrifice. Fasting involves sacrifice, specifically sacrifice from food. And nothing bothers people more, it seems, than messing with our food. I mean, you want to get somebody upset, right? I mean, you learned at a young age, you don't get that last piece of chicken. That's pawpaws. 
And nobody takes that last piece of cake because Papa's going to get upset. And everybody knows you, you don't get the last one and you don't mess with other people's food. I can remember, I can remember as the kids were getting older, and, and Emily did this more than Micah, so I'm not going to throw Micah under the bus. I'll throw Emily because she's not here this morning. It's okay. But we would go out to eat or, or be sitting down at home having a meal. And Emily started this thing where she would look over at my plate and goes, Dad, that looks really good. Can I have a bite? It didn't matter where we were. And I'm like, you've got your own food. And, and it started, though, over steak and gravy, right? Country fried steak and gravy. We got any country fried steak and gravy fans out here? Got some of you? Okay, don't eat that around my daughter. All right? Because that, that's where I started to see it. It started to crop in. I would get country fried steak and gravy. No matter what she had on her plate, she would go, Dad, that looks really good. That looks really good. And I'll say, you know what? It, it does. Not only does it look really good, it tastes really good too. It's just, I'd like to have some. And I'd love to be able to tell you that I was like, no, this is my food. But I mean, it was my daughter. I, you know, first child. And, and so I'm like, well, if I have anything left at the end. But we, we learn, right? We learn at a young age. Don't mess with people's food. We binge watch shows on the Food Network, right? I mean, there is a television channel called the Food Network. There are Instagram accounts that are devoted to showing nothing but food. And in fact, the more we talk about food right now, you're thinking about where you're going for lunch, right? Yeah. Some of you are really right now thinking about that Mongolian grill place on Brainerd Road. Oh, right? I mean, Will, I know, man. You're there. You get that silver bowl, and you start filling it with the different proteins, and then you get that, you get that rice, and, or you get those noodles, right? It's going to be there. I will meet you there, okay? I will meet you there. Just tell them that Chris sent you, and uh, that would be great. I'd appreciate that. Guys, we're consumed by food. We're consumed by food. So you tell me, why don't we fast? <laughs> It's hard to fast, isn't it, between fistfuls and mouths of food. It's really hard to do that. And we struggle to seriously talk about the idea of fasting, much less intentionally do it. Because fasting, unlike reading scripture or, or unlike being in constant contact with God through prayer, it costs us something. Because in order to fast, we are required to back away from the table and we are required to put aside our food idolatry. And that's what it is, guys. That's what food is. It's an idol. We eat not out of our need, but out of our desire for eating. Majority of us, and we're thankful for this, but the majority of us have never known real hunger. We crave, so we eat. At least that's me. But fasting, it, it calls us to deny those cravings in order to rediscover our hunger for God and to re-identify with those who actually do go without on a regular basis. You, you see, through fasting, we experience hunger pains and, and there's this gnawing of emptiness. You, you might become dizzy. You might grow weary during fasting. But guess what? That's how a third of our world lives on a daily basis. And if we never live that way, even briefly, how will we be able to care for the least of these? Fasting gives us just a small taste of what their world is like. A taste of what we will never get if we do not take time to sacrifice the taste of food. Now another reason we don't always engage in fasting is because fasting is bathed in humility. Hunger humbles us. 
It opens our eyes to our own frailty and our own weakness. I mean, look, if we don't eat for about 12 hours, we just start to come apart, right? I mean, we get depressed, and we get cranky, and we get weary, and we get hangry, right? Go ahead. How many of your spouses get hangry, right? Go, oh, no, sorry, that's a bad. I mean, how many of you get hangry? That's what I meant to ask. You got to feed the beast, right? Otherwise, you look like this guy. Fourth down, coach. What do we do? I'll tell you what. I want you to go on the field. Look for anyone with an O. Let's kill them. With kindness. Jimmy, I want you to make balloon animals. Tyler, make little tea cozy. Something fun. Are you okay? <laughs> we will win this for Mother Russia. Coach, eat a Snickers. Why is that you? You get a little loopy when you're hungry. Better. Better. Now let's go work! Yeah! Go get it, guys. I know that some of you guys got the phone call to be in that commercial. I mean, some of you did. They were like, hey, like, hey, we're, we're doing this commercial, and we have heard that you are just not yourself when you're hungry. That we, we have heard that, that you just get hangry, and, and you just get so needy, and, and, and so you've been recommended to be in the commercial, and, and you could have done that, right? You could have been that guy. You know, fasting reminds us what it means to be to be in need. It, it, remind, it reminds us how dependent that we are. And we don't like that feeling because we like the feeling of superiority. We build statues to people who are strong. We do all that we can to keep from feeling weak. It, that's why 87.6 million gym goers will spend an estimated $34.8 billion on gym memberships annually. Guys, our culture encourages us to run on our own strength for long periods of time. And, and in doing so, we forget our, our limits. And we become self-confident. We become cocky. We begin to think that apart from me, Jesus can do nothing, but that through me, Jesus can do all things through my strength. That's how we begin to live our lives. And fasting does away with that myth by midnight. You want to realize that you are not in control? You want to realize that you are not as strong as you think you are? Then spend in just a small amount of time, not even an extended time, fasting. And you begin to realize that unless God in his mercy provides manna for the day, then I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. Now look, there, there's no biblical command that tells us that we must fast for a certain amount of time or that we have to do it on, on certain specific days. But, but we do find that over and over again in Scripture, those who were serious about seeking God engaged in extended periods of fasting and prayer. In fact, Scripture paints a very distinct picture of the person who chooses to fast. And so what we're going to do, just here for the, the last couple of minutes, I, I want us just to focus in on, on the type of people that begin to, 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 to move closer to God through this idea of, of fasting. We're going to look at a couple of examples from your Old Testament Scriptures there in your Bible. And also from something there within your New Testament. Uh, and so as we go through these, I want you to think about yourself. And, and I want you to kind of think about where you are in your spiritual walk, okay? Because fasting is for burdened people. It's for burdened people. Nehemiah, when he heard about the walls of Jerusalem and, and how that they had been torn down and destroyed and how the, the people who remained in Jerusalem after those who were taken off into captivity, those people who remained there, how that they were lethargic in their walk with God. He said, I sat down and I wept. 
He said, I thought about my homeland. I thought about the temple of God. I I thought about the walls of my homeland and the people who were there and and how mighty and how strong we once were. And when I heard about their condition, he said, I sat down and I wept. And he said, for some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. For some days. Why do you think it was for some days that he mourned and fasted? Why some days? Why not just one day with this small group? Why not just one day where he said, you know what, guys, I'm really concerned about, I'm really concerned about our spiritual family. I'm really concerned about what's going on with the people of God. And so let's just take one day and let, let's, just, let's just do without some food and let's just pray and, and we'll get right back at it after that. Why, why did he not just do that? Why, why, not ask, why not just ask others to pray on Facebook? Why, why don't you just say, hey, I need some prayers. I need some prayers for the people of God. Let me know if you're praying out there. Send me back that emoji. Guys, the burden was so great. And his desire for God to intercede so strong that one day of prayer and one day without food would not satisfy. The burden of Israel's condition drove him to humbly seek God's intervention. But when he went to his knees in prayer and when he decided, I'm not going to to focus on food, I'm going to focus on God, he doesn't go and blame Israel's condition on the Babylonians or the Persians. Instead, during his fast, he confesses that he and Israel have acted wickedly. And I wonder if we, I wonder if we're able anymore to have a burden for our own lack of unrighteousness or for our own lack of righteousness. See, I'm afraid that we've blamed others for too long. I'm afraid as a Christian community, we have gotten into the habit and we have become really good at at pointing to all the reasons that things around us are not the way that we would like for them to be. But friends, I think it's time for us to stop criticizing Washington. And it's time for us to stop criticizing Hollywood. And it's time for us and the people of God to begin weeping over our own sins. And to weep and to fast, and to pray for God to act in our marriages, and in the lives of our children, and in our neighborhoods. To weep, and to fast, and to pray for God's presence to be within our community. You see, fasting is for a people burdened by the condition of their own lives, and their own family, and their own church, and their own community. The people who are not proud, too proud to implore God to act on their behalf. Fasting is for burdened people. Maybe that's why we don't fast. We don't know what it is to be burdened anymore by sin. It's also for broken people. For broken people. By the time that Jonah had finished his three-day preaching tour of Nineveh, word had reached Nineveh's king that A 40-day countdown for destruction was on. And he was so distressed that he gets up from his throne. He takes off his royal clothes. He he puts on coarsely woven covering made of goat's hair. And he just goes out and he sits in the dirt. And then this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. The Ninevites, being the smart people that they were, they were way ahead of their king. And I want you to picture 
a nation of about 120,000 people, men, women, and children, sitting in the dirt, wearing nothing but goat hair and refusing to eat or drink. Now, these were the people who lived in the capital city of the most powerful empire of their day. They were responsible for inventing locks and keys. History gives them credit for paved roads, the first postal system, and the first libraries. They had the very first plumbing. It's like, woo, Ninevites, man. Their army's brutality was legendary. They were a strong people. But when they heard Jonah's message of destruction, they realized that all their accomplishments and, and all their ingenuity could not save them. They were a broken people, and they realized that they were at the mercy of God. And, and look, understand, fasting is, not, fasting is not this backroom deal at the courthouse. It's not trading a few days without food for eternal mercy from God. That's not it. But fasting is a repositioning. It has always been an expression of humility, a way to show that a person is desperate, a way to show that you are broken. It's a way for broken people to approach God from a position of humility. And here's the thing. God will always visit his people when they reach a point of desperation, when they surrender their pride and this attitude that says, I've got it all together, and I'm going to fix this, and I am good. I'm on my own. I'm okay. And it's why when God saw the Ninevites, when he saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, it says in Jonah's journal that they relented, or that God relented and he did not bring the destruction that he threatened. Ancient Israel's King David said, God, you were not pleased by sacrifices or I would bring them to you. You don't want burnt offerings. He said the sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit. He said you will not reject a heart that is broken and that is sorry for sin. Guys, only in a broken heart is there enough space for God to dwell. But broken hearts are so rare. Broken hearts are so rare today, and rarer still are broken churches. And you say, well, why is it? It seems like on every corner you, you, you've got a busy church. And then you go down the road further and you've got a, a bigger church. But what about a broken church? What about a broken community of God? I think it goes back to the idea that we just don't like to feel uncomfortable. Guys, fasting means humbly asking God to be painfully thorough in revealing anything that is not pleasing to him. And who likes to do that? I mean, how many of you husbands out there each day tell your wives, all right, I just want you to give it to me. What did I do wrong today? I mean, go ahead. What self-improvements do you recommend, dear? I just want to know. Now, I know that some of you guys, you don't even have to ask your wives that opinion. I know. You don't. You don't even have to ask. This is their spiritual gift. And you were blessed because of that. You're blessed. But guys, none of us actively seek to have our faults pointed out. It's just too uncomfortable. And yet, listen to what Psalm 34 and verse 18 reminds us. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. God spoke directly about this to the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. He said, this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever and whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and I live in a holy place, but I also live with the contrite in spirit. I live with those who are lowly in spirit so that I might revive those who are lowly, revive the heart of those who are contrite. 
Friends, if God has promised to live with, if God has promised to revive those who are burdened and those who are broken, and if fasting is a way for burdened and broken people, if it's a way that for centuries individuals have humbled themselves before God, then why, as a church family, would we not fast? Why wouldn't my family fast? Why wouldn't I fast? Good questions, right? Do we really want to draw near to God? I guess that's the question. Are we really serious about drawing near to God? One more thing. Fasting is for embattled people. It's for embattled people. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're told that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And why did he go there? To be what? Go and tell me. What? You, you've read this story, right? He went there to be tempted. We're told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that, that Jesus led by the very Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted for the devil. Luke's gospel says that he ate nothing during those days. Matthew says that at the end of that time, he was extremely hungry. And you know what? I used to think that Satan's temptation of Jesus came when Jesus was at his most vulnerable, when he was at his weakest. No food, no strength. But, but a reading of Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts together give the appearance that the temptations were not necessarily taking place at the end of Jesus' fast, but that those temptations took place throughout his fasting experience. And I now have the perspective that Jesus fasted in order to be spiritually strong. You see, for an extended period of time, Jesus hungered for God's direction, and he thirsted for God's protection. The days without food, instead of weakening him, actually served to strengthen him for the encounter that he was going to have with the devil. And then like a prize fighter who had undergone strict training, Jesus stepped into the ring, ready to do spiritual battle. Bring it on. Give me your best shot. And so when Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread in order to alleviate his hunger, Jesus' response is to quote Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. Devil, don't you know that people don't live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of God? Man, he is standing center of the ring. He is strong. He is prepared for the battle that is in front of him. And how do you experience this? How do you have that kind of strength to stand up under temptation unless you have lived what Jesus lived? Unless you've prepared yourself for the battle. Satan thinks that he is the son of God on the ropes, so he attempts to KO Jesus by calling into question God's provision and God's protection and God's planning. And I encourage you, if you haven't read the story of the temptation, go ahead and turn there. Look at Matthew, look at Mark, look at, look at Luke. But Jesus, he's in the middle of this lengthy fast, and he knows God to be provider, and he knows God as protector, and he knows God as planner. And how do you know this type of dependence unless you have placed yourself in a position of vulnerability? You see, fasting prepares you for temptation by teaching you dependence. 
Maybe the reason that we look at our lives and say, you know what, it just seems like I keep on just tripping over the same things. And it seems like the same temptation Satan just keeps bringing up over and over again. And I just keep falling for it over and over again. Maybe the reason is, church, have you ever thought of fasting and seeking the presence of God? Have you ever sought out God's presence in this way? looking for his provision and seeking his protection and saying, God, I'm going to be on your plan. You see, every day you and I are tempted to take control of various aspects of our lives. Provide, protect, plan, fill your belly, take care of your people, build your own kingdom. And guys, it all sounds so really good because it all has the same thing in common. Take control. Go ahead, you take control. You take control. Take control of your life. It's the very same spiritual battle that Jesus faced. But Jesus was able to endure Satan's testing. We more often than not, we get knocked out. Because we don't know what it's like to be completely sustained by God. How could we? Probably the majority in this room, we never fast. And fasting teaches you dependence and prepares you for temptation. So before you engage in spiritual battle, fill your spiritual cup. Don't go and say, I don't know what to do. I didn't expect this temptation to come. It's going to come. It'll be this week. It'll be this month. It'll be this year where you're going to be tempted to take control of every little aspect of your life and leave God out. And unless you prepared for that battle, you will struggle to be victorious. So fasting is for embattled people, people who want to survive meeting the devil on his turf. And fasting is for broken people, people who are willing to come face to face with their own sinfulness. And fasting is for burdened people, people who are not content with the current condition of themselves or the world that's around them. But guys, fasting will humble you and fasting will reposition you as you learn total dependence upon God. And it will toss, cost you your pride. And it will cost you your control. So tell me, why is it we haven't fasted? It's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. But ultimately, you and I rediscover, or as we rediscover, this often overlooked holy habit. It does us no good if we draw near to God but become nothing like him. The worst thing that could happen this week is if you were to go and to pull up one of our guides that we have online and decide that you are going to, to step into this discipline of fasting and you do it just to do it. Just to be able to let somebody know. Just to be able to, to put on Facebook to just, just to be able to, to say that you have put this into your toolbox. It does us no good if we draw near to God, but become nothing like him. Recorded in Isaiah 58 is God's rebuke of Israel's fasting. You see, they missed the point. They thought fasting was the point. And I don't want you to come away from today thinking that, hey, Chris had this lesson on fasting, and the point is, let's just go and start fasting. Let's figure out how to do this and, and what this means. I don't want you to make the same mistake. You see, these people of Israel, they fasted, but they continued to exploit their neighbors. They continued to bully their countrymen. And so God responded, and, and here's what he said. He said, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. 
Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains of the blind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Guys, fasting teaches us to have God's heart. That's the purpose. Drawing near. It's not just the act. It's not just being able to say that we have this discipline in our lives. Fasting teaches us to have God's heart for the hungry. It teaches us to have God's heart for the oppressed, for the naked, for the homeless. Fasting is not the point. Becoming more like God is the point. And fasting should position us to be more receptive of God's presence in our life. And then, prayerfully, hopefully, with a better glimpse of God, we have a better understanding of our own role in the world. Fasting means that I'm willing to give up something that my body demands in order to fervently seek something that my spirit needs. And I don't know about you, but my spirit needs more God. I think this church needs more God. I think we could all use a little more God in our lives. We all know what it means to be filled with food. But what does it mean and how does it feel to be filled with God? Let's find out. Father, I thank you for, I thank you for messages like this that are challenging for, for me, not just for those who are who are listening, who are here today, or who are pulling this up later on in a podcast. I'm thankful for how that you bring to our attention things that for whatever reason we just have decided don't need to be in our box. I'm thankful for reminders of of how that you long to for us to be closer to you. You're present around us, but we have closed our eyes to you, and we need to be able to open up our hearts to you more. So, Father, we have talked about being people of of your word. And, Father, we've talked about being a people who are in constant contact with you. I pray that we will consider, Father, being a people who will will step aside from, from the idol that we have where we feel like that we're constantly having to fulfill our cravings and instead be burdened and, and broken in your presence, doing without something that our body does need in order to gain something that our spirit needs more. So, Father, lead us during this time and, and coach us through your spirit. Father, allow us this moment so that we might know what it means to draw nearer to you. Allow us individually, allow us as a church to be, to be a community of faith in you where we depend on you, where we long for you, where we desire to have your presence fully in our life. Because, Father, this week we are going to be in battle. There's going to be spiritual battles that take place in our life. And we're going to be tempted and we're going to be tried. But, Father, help us to be able to stand because of the time that we have spent in your presence. Strengthen us, Father. Use messages like this one. Use disciplines like we have talked about, Father, so that we might be able to see you more clearly and understand our place in this world. Father, hear our prayers today. Listen to the worship that we give, but strengthen us in our worship as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to sing and encourage one another. We're going to sing a song called Waymaker. I want you to think about God making a way in your life this week.
No matter what battles that you're going to be going through, and I want you to think about the way in which you are going to be seeking to draw nearer to him. And maybe as we're singing, you need to walk to the back to our prayer room and just spend time alone in silent prayer there. But also one of our shepherds will be there if you just need to seek someone's guidance and wisdom. Maybe you need to come before this church family saying, I would love to be baptized into Christ. I would love to be able to, to, to be a part of that family of God. I want to be able to experience the salvation that comes through Jesus. Maybe that's where your study, maybe that's where your prayer, maybe that's already where some of your fasting has led you. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Whatever your need, we'd love for you to let it be known as together we stand and give praise to our God.